you, Bell. Good morning, church. It's good to be with God's people, amen? So good to see all of you guys here. My name is Pastor Ray Cosley, and I'm one of the pastors here at Living Way. And if this is uh, just your first time with us, we're just glad that you're here. And if you've been running with us for quite some time, we are glad that you're here as well. And we're praying that in some way, God would encounter you in a way that leaves an indelible mark. Amen? Because you came here to meet the Lord, did you not? You didn't come here to see me. Trust me. You, didn't, you don't want to see me. You want to see the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Well, last week, we celebrated Easter. A wonderful time. Reminding us once again of just God in flesh resurrecting. And I talked about the power of God. And I said it last week that there is none like him. His power's not slim or shady, indistinct or hazy. It has no limit. Nothing on earth can comprehend it. It determines the beginning and the end. His power is everything. And it determines all that's within it. That's crazy. He's immortal, imperial, the master of every fate, captain of every soul, like Crunch, the captain of every star, Vega, Orion, Pleiades, Sargas, galaxies near and far. This galaxy-holding, sun-stopping, star-naming, God that calls lightning to attention, power with no measure that determines every outcome of every decision, this I am with no flinching to where there's no star that's missing is the same power that he put on display in the resurrection. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus' life was about power. He taught with authority. Right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end he says, it says that everyone after they heard all that he had to say, said, this man speaks with authority, power. During his life, he demonstrated power over the natural as he quieted a storm and walked on water. Jesus in a boat, a storm that's raging, the disciples professional fishermen, scared for their lives in Jesus' sleep. And Jesus, after being awakened in their horror, he wakes up, he looks at the storm, and he says, cease, be still. Power over the natural. During Jesus' life, not only did he demonstrate power over the natural, he demonstrated power over the supernatural. There was a man that he ran into with a legion of demons, thousands upon thousands of demons, no one could confront this man. No one could put this man in chains. Everyone avoided where this man was, but not Jesus. He goes directly to the Gadarenes, and when he meets this man, he simply tells the demons, go. And they say to him, where do you want us to go? And there was a horde of pigs. He says, go where you see fit. That's the fittest place you can be with the pigs. And that man was in his right mind. See, Jesus in his life not only demonstrated power over the natural, not only did he demonstrate power over the supernatural, he demonstrated power over the body. In the book of John, there was a man who was born blind. 
The man had been blind all of his life. Jesus looks at him. He spits on the ground. He makes the, the, the ground the, the, into mud, and he puts it on his eyes, and, and the man opens his eyes, and he can see. He demonstrated power not only over the body, but he demonstrated power over the soul. A woman, a woman who was probably a prostitute. No one thought this woman could have her sins forgiven. She was the dreg, the bottom of the barrel. Jesus looked at the woman and she approached him and she began to wash his feet with her hair and her tears. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. The, the Pharisees are flustered and, and, and who is this that can forgive sins? They didn't realize Jesus had the power to forgive even sin. You see, not only was Jesus' life about power, Jesus' death was about power. When he was on the cross, they mocked his power. You could save others, but he can't save himself. They mocked his authority as they laughed at him and beat him. They put a crown of thorns, not a crown of gold and diamonds on his head. And they mocked him, calling him the king of the Jews. And then on the cross, he demonstrated his power. In the greatest moment of mankind that, that they thought was weakness, he said, it is finished. And before he rose, little did they know, even in his death, he was demonstrating power. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that he captured a host of captives, which means that in between the time that he got off of that cross, and they put him in the tomb before he resurrected, he was demonstrating victory to all of the supernatural entities that they could not see. He did a lap of victory in the spiritual realm. And he led a host of captives to freedom. And then on the third day, not only in his life, not only in his death, but in his resurrection, when he rose, he demonstrated power. A power that demonstrated in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, that says it was a power that is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. It is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And when he rose, he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church. This is Jesus. There is none like him. His power is not slim or shady, indistinct or hazy. It's no limit. Nothing on earth can comprehend it. It determines the beginning from the end and everything within it. That's crazy. And the amazing reality is that same power that I talked about last week in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says is toward us who are in Jesus. I don't think you heard me. I don't think you heard me. That same power that he rose from the dead is toward us in Jesus. Can somebody give me an amen? And the question becomes is, as I ask you this morning, power for what? Power for what? In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, what shall we say then? 
Are are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we that have died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, were buried therefore by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The power that Jesus, God the Father used to raise Jesus from the dead is the power that is now available to us to walk in newness of life. In other words, you are no longer a slave to sin. The power that God gives us in Jesus is applied to the place where we no longer have to be bound to sin. In other words, you are free. You are free in Jesus to live the kind of life that Jesus lived when he walked here on earth. I called it last week the raised up kind of life. Anybody raised up in here? It's that raised up kind of life. As I said last week, you don't have to live in resentment if you're resentful right now. You don't have to manipulate people around you to gain a voice. If you raised up right now, then you don't have to live full of unforgiveness and bitterness. You don't have to be characterized by impatience. You don't have to run to alcohol, drugs, all of the different things to... That to quiet the noise, you don't have to look down on others in order to be recognized or feel better about yourself. You don't have to posture or present a false self in order to uphold your reputation. You don't have to wallow in self-pity and guilt because you failed to measure up. This is the raised up life. If you are seated and raised up in Jesus, then you don't have to worry about your provision because he will supply every need according to his riches in Christ. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to but here's the issue but I still do how about you sometimes or am I just being honest is it just me that that doesn't live out the kind of raised up life that I just described you see I still worry a lot I still find myself lying to manipulate a situation in my favor or to cover up some area of my life so, so that you don't see that I'm just not perfect. You see, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't live the raised up life. And sometimes I ask myself, where's the power? Because even though I, I, the power is available to me, I walk with the hum of discontent. How about you? Never really happy. Always striving and yet never really at rest. Is that maybe somebody here that I'm talking to today? Nothing's ever enough. So I always find myself still full of envy. And I ask myself, where's the power? I resent your success. I resent your accomplishments. The stuff you got, I want. And I ask myself, where's the power? I hate interruptions. And so as a result, I talk with a mean spirit. Another water leak another crisis, another situation. I can't be in the moment of chaos and be kind. And sometimes I ask myself, where's the power? I'm more forlorn and downcast than I care to admit. 
in my soul. I know the psalmist tells me, hope in God, Ray. But you know what I find myself hoping in? That things will change. That's really where my hope is. And then maybe if it changes, then I won't be so downcast. Either you're in my way or I'm looking to use you to gain the peace, provision, success, and affirmation that my heart longs for. Or is that just me? Where's the power? You see, myself and Pastor James were talking about my message last week. And we asked ourselves that question. Because in so many ways, we began to even examine our own lives. And we see the wonder, the beauty, the magnitude, the gravity of the power of God through the resurrection shown and demonstrated through Jesus that is toward us in him, but yet sometimes, or, or should I say more times than I'd like to admit, I'm not walking in that power, is that just me? And we began to sit there and just bemoan that reality that I'm not the kind of person in so many ways that God has freed me to be. See, this is the kind of person I want to be. How about you? Patient. How many people want to be patient up in here? Kind. Not self-seeking. I don't want to be so easily angered, humble, gentle, content, and at rest. I want to be happy. Most ethicists ethicists define happiness as a kind of contentment, a soul-level satisfaction where you are grateful for what is rather than grasping for more. Comer. Comer writes, the wise recognize that pleasure is not the same thing as happiness. Pleasure is about dopamine. Happiness is about serotonin. Pleasure is about the next hit to feel good in the moment. Happiness is about contentment over the long haul. A sense that my life is rich and satisfying as it is. How many of you right now feel that your life is rich and satisfying as it is? How many of you want to be there? Pleasure is about want. Happiness is about freedom from want. End quote. But for so many of us, the avenue to happiness is dopamine and distraction. Can I get an amen? You see, the resurrection is is a declaration that that this power is available, and the question that I had to seriously and honestly ask myself, and I'm, I'm asking you to ask yourself that question right now, is where do you ultimately need to apply this power so you can step into that definition of happiness, and how do we gain access to it? 
Now, I really want to talk to you. I don't want this just to be a sermon. I really want you to ask yourself in that area where you, where you truly are not living in happiness, where you're not living the raised up life, where, where you're really looking to dopamine and distraction, where do you need to ultimately apply this resurrection power so you don't have to be in dopamine and distraction, and how do you gain access so you can live the raised up life? That's what I want to know. I'm just being real. Because that's the place from where I want to live. How about you? Amen. The question is, where do we need to apply this power so we can live the raised up life? Well, again, I'm back in Ephesians, y'all. Sorry, I just can't get out of there. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul tells us where we need to apply this power so we can live the raised up life. Verse 17 that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Everybody say wisdom and revelation. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Everybody say enlightened. The first place that Paul says the application, the power needs to be is in wisdom and revelation or the parallel because that's a parallel in verse 17 or the eyes of your heart now why did i say that because he says give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know okay so if you're going to know the three things after that hope right that he talks about the hope to which you have been called Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? So if you want to know the immeasurable power, then you have to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You have to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. If you get the eyes of your heart enlightened, which is a parallel to the wisdom and revelation, then you will be able to know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Are you following me? You see, the, pla the place where the power has to be applied is there. You see, what well do we drink from for the power of the raised life? Are we really, are we really drinking from the wisdom and revelation that comes from God? Are we really drinking from the well of being enlightened by the knowledge of him in the heart? Well, no, Paul actually tells us where the majority of us, which keeps us from living the raised up life, where we drink from. And we drink from really, ultimately, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Everybody say passions of our flesh. Where we, where the well that we draw from in order to live that raised up life, that, that happy life, is, 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 is the passions of our love, flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Everybody say desires. And those desires are coming from what? The body and the mind. In other words, we, we, we look to the desires within and, and, and the passions that, that are driving everyone without in order to gain the raised up life. In other words, we look to the wisdom of the world. 
This is what the wisdom of the world is, is it not? It's the passions of the flesh. The wisdom of the world is do whatever you do to carry out the desires of the body and the mind. You see, the wisdom of the day, if you really want to get that raised up life, is dopamine and distraction. It's reality TV. It's that hobby. It's those video games. It's that sex saturation. You see, the desires of the body, the mind, that's the well that that if we drink from there, the world is telling us, then you can live that raised up life. And some of those things aren't bad. But I want to ask you this question. Why are you going to them? What really is the reality TV supplying for you? Is it just entertainment or is it dopamine and distraction? Why are you really watching Netflix? Why are you really engaged in, 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 that, in, in that hobby? Why are you a workaholic constantly working, trying, trying, to, trying to succeed, trying to excel, trying to do things for God? Pastor, why are you up here preaching? This is a good thing, is it not? But can it fuel the flesh? Can it be carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind? See, the wisdom of the day is dopamine and distraction. The wisdom of the day is self-expression. As Comer says, the heart, these are the phrases we all hear in our culture, do we not? The heart wants what it wants. That's, that's where the world is telling you to, to gain the raised up life. It's follow your heart. You do you. Just do it. Speak your truth. And of course, be true to yourself. Is this not what the world tells us to drink from? And here's what I'm trying to say to you. Don't dismiss yourself from living in that well. We're more saturated than we care to even admit or even know. Self-expression, self-gratification is where we traffic Monday through Saturday, if not Sunday too. And I love how Comer puts it. Anybody remember Shakespeare from the 10th grade? Anybody remember Shakespeare? That phrase, be true to yourself is a quote from his play, Hamlet. The original version was, this above all, to thine own self be true. We don't talk like that no more. That's that King James language. How many, I was raised on a king, how many King Jameses we got up in here? Some King James, the eyes and mouths, come on now, represent King James. Well, do anybody remember who said that line in Shakespeare's play? If not, he says, don't feel bad. I had to look it up. It was Polonius. And you know who he was in the story? He wasn't wisdom. He was the fool. It's the fool in Shakespeare's play that encourages us to live by the slogan, be true to yourself. And yet we mouth this mantra like it's gospel. We just assume, as Comer says, that the way to, to, to a happy, flourishing life 
is to follow your heart. That's the worst thing that you need to do to gain the raised up. Do not follow your heart. The desires of the body and the mind. Where desires take me, I go. Because that's where I can find happiness. Don't let your desires take you where you want to go. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Healthy? You got a healthy heart? Sick. Disgusting. Marred in sin, darkness, outside of Jesus. Corrupt. And inside Jesus, it can still influence you. Comer continues, happiness becomes, in today's day, about feeling good, not being good. The good life has become about getting what we want, not becoming the kind of people who want truly good things, end quote. The self, not God or scripture, in our culture today, he says, is the new locus of authority in Western culture. Self is the well from which we drink from to gain the raised up life. Self is the new God, the new spiritual authority, he says, the new morality. But this puts a crushing weight on the self. One, it was never designed to bear. You see, in the culture today, the self must discover itself. It must become itself. It must stay true to itself. The self must justify the self. The the self must make the self what? Happy. Perform and defend its fragile identity. As he says, as my Peloton instructor would say, validate your greatness as you work it out. Validate your greatness. You suck. But what about the many days when when you're not all that great or is it just me? What about the many days when you're not all that great? When you can't conjure up the self to tell you that you are better than what you really are when you really ain't what yourself is telling you it is. Did y'all get me on that one? The self was never designed to handle that kind of pressure. And so the pressure is exhausting. And you wonder why we have so much in Western culture, burnout, anxiety, and mental issues. Mental health is at an all-time high in the 21st century Western world. So here what Paul is saying is, he doesn't say, look at self. He doesn't say, go 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 to the wisdom of the world that tells you how to live the raised up life. He says, don't get, go to the, to the revelation of, of the dopamine and the distractions that will ultimately get you there. No, he tells you the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So if you're going to live the raised up life, you got to have wisdom and revelation in him. you got to have a heart that's enlightened in him. But the second place where Paul tells us if we want to live the raised up life is chapter 3, verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your, what's those two words, y'all? Everybody say inner being. Everybody say inner being. 
The second place that the power needs to be applied to if you're going to give the raised up life is not just wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, his wisdom on how to live life, but also the power needs to be applied to the inner being if you're going to live the raised up life. Because he says, if you want to be strengthened with what? Power. If you don't get to your heart, you will not get to being happy. This is what the inner being is. This prayer goes beyond the first prayer that we saw in verse 17 of chapter 1. The first one that we just saw was a heart of insight and wisdom. But here now Paul says to strengthen that heart that has insight and wisdom. I'm not going to talk much about the heart. I've talked about it before in the past, but I'll say this. The heart in biblical literature is the trifecta of a person's thinking, feeling, and desires. It's the, the mind, the will, and the emotions. That is your heart. The way you think, the way you feel, the, way, the, 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 uh, the affections and desires that drive you. That is your heart. That is the place that needs power so you can live the raised up life. You're thinking, you're willing, you're desiring. These three. Okay, so that's where we need power. My first message was about the power is available. It's available. But now the question is, is where does it need to be applied? Heart enlightenment and heart power. So now the question is, is how do we access this power? How do we access it? How do we get our hands on this power? That should be the key question that everybody's asking if you want to live the raised up life. Everybody say raised up. Everybody say raised up. Come on now. So how do we access it? Paul says the same conduit, gives us the same conduit in both the prayers in Ephesians. You'll see them together. How do we access the power to live the raised up life? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the what? Everybody say spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16, he's praying again, we just read it, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his what? Spirit in your inner being. The way that you access the power to live the raised up life is to get more of the spirit. You see, I still worry a lot. I still lie and I still manipulate a situation in my favor to cover up so that you don't see me as imperfect as I am. And where's the power? The spirit. I walk with the hum of discontent, never really happy, always striving, and yet never really at rest. And maybe that's just me. And I'm asking the question, where's the power? The power is in the spirit. Nothing's ever enough. I envy what you have. I wish I could be where you are. And I'm asking myself, where's the power? And the power is in the spirit. I hate interruptions. 
I hate chaos. I hate the fact that you are in my way, that the water is leaking, that the ceiling is coming down, that the bills are starting to give me stress, the fact that things aren't provided in the way that I like. My kids are all over the place. Everybody's asking me for stuff. I can't find a quiet rock to get up under. But the reality is I can find rest in the spirit. The, the fact that you're, I'm forlorn and don't downcast, how many downcast sad people we got in here? We find ourselves constantly riddled with angry, anxiety, bitter, worry, and doubt. And I've asked myself, where's the power? And Paul is telling me the power is in the spirit. So the reality is this. If you want to gain the raised up life, if you want to find contentment, peace, rest, you want to live in that happy place where you can be content with everything as it is, you got to get more of the Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus provides just that. If you want to turn with me there, you can. He says in chapter 14, verse 16, this is called his farewell discourse. And he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. helper. Everybody say helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So first he calls the, the, the spirit a helper. Then verse 17 he says this spirit will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Verse 20, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you in me, I in you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So he says, the father will be in you, the spirit will be in you, Jesus will be in you. In verse 23, anyone, that means anyone who is a disciple of Jesus, who loves, delights, and treasures in him, we will come in him and make a home in you. So the condition is this, if you love Jesus today and demonstrate that love by, by treasuring him as your Lord, Savior, and treasure, then what Jesus is saying right there is that right now, sitting in your seat, you have the Father, Jesus, and the Spirit living in you. I don't think y'all heard me. And Jesus says, what is he doing in you? Verse 16, he's your helper. Now that word in the Greek is parakletos. That word right there is a unique designation. Guess what? That's only given to the Holy Ghost. 
That's what we used to call him when I was a kid. My mama used to call him the Holy Ghost. I think we're missing that. We need to start calling him the Holy Ghost. Come on, y'all. Oh, boy. The Holy Ghost. That word is only used twice in the entire New Testament. That word there is only used twice. Helper is only used twice, verse 16, in the entire New Testament. And guess who it's only used for? The Holy Ghost. This shows us that what we're seeing here in verse 16 is a unique designation that is only given to the Holy Spirit. Yet when the Greek word there in verse 16, parakletos, is translated into English, I believe it loses some of its punch. Because see, this word in the Greek is actually, if you separate it, it's parakaleo. It means to call alongside. In secular Greek, the word is used to emphasize the function of being an advocate who speaks in the defense of of, of someone who provides legal counsel. How many have heard the, the Holy Spirit being called an advocate? Well, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses this word with overtones of consolation or encouragement. So it's first used as advocate, then it's used as a word that that describes consolation and encouragement. Here in the ESV, it's used as a word that means helper. In the New King James, it's used as comforter, where we get our actually old English word, which comes from an old Latin word that means confortare, which actually means fortress, right? Comfort, it's a fortress or a stronghold. And then other translations translate this word as counselor. From scholars, they actually just call him parakletos, or have you heard him called the paraclete? Why are all the translators having a hard time pinning down this word? I mean, what is he? Is he an advocate? Is he a helper? Is he a counselor? Is is he consolation and encouragement? Is he a fortress? I think they're having a hard time pinning down this word because you can't put the Holy Spirit, who is God, in a box. You see, it's not enough to just say that he's helping, counseling, strengthening, advocating, comforting. The God in you, in Jesus, is strengthening you to experience the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, Galatians chapter 5. The spirit in you is your garrison against the onslaught of the flesh that wants you to place your faith in anger, dissension, division, gossip, envy, destruction, drunkenness, sexual immorality to satisfy your soul. He is 2 Corinthians three seventeen freedom from condemnation, guilt, enslavement from the maggot-filled promises of sin. The triune God who is in you is a fortress of spiritual gifts, empowering you for inward Christ edification and outward gospel effectiveness, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 chapter 12. The spirit in you has the power that will give life to your mortal body, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He is your counselor that will guide you into all truth, John chapters 14 through 16. He is the glue that unifies us under the constant heat of Satan's attempts to divide the church, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. All the words and all the books that fill all the libraries in all the world since the beginning of time do not have enough room to describe the reservoir of infinite power that is running through your soul. He's not just helping you. He's not just comforting you. He's not just strengthening you. He's not just advocating for you. But he's doing all these things and much more all at once in the lives of multitudes of saints around the world. And he's not even breaking a sweat. 
like I am right now. It's no wonder Paul prays. That you be strengthened with power through his spirit. That's the location from where he says you can gain access. Ooh, I think that's my phone. <laughs> uh, no. It's no wonder that out of the, all the things that he says, in order for you to live up that raised up life, I'm asking you this morning, do you want to live raised up? Are you tired of living the, the earth and all that's in it? I want to ask you a question. How is the world's wisdom, how's it working out for you? Are you more content because of the dopamine and the distractions? No, for real. How much better do you really feel after, after you get that distraction from, from all of the noise that's going on inside your soul? How about the self? How's following your heart? How's that working out for you? You see, here's the reality. We got to figure out, church, I got to figure out, because guess what? I'm, I'm tired of living the earth life. I'm tired. I got to figure out. And if you want to come along with me, you can. We got to figure out how to live more steadily, consistently, and readily in the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you, in your walk with Jesus Christ, do you know how to do that? Do you know what that looks like? Or we have we just relegated the Holy Ghost to just being some ethereal kind of, ooh, I don't really understand what that is. I just know he's a part of the Trinity. Because you know what? I want to be happy. And Jesus said, I came to give life, and I came to give it abundantly, present tense. Are you living an abundant life right now? If you're not, then either Jesus is a liar or we're not where we need to be to gain the flow of that abundant life. You see, happiness, I, don't, I, I, want you to, I, I want you to be where you are right now. And happiness right where you are is, is a kind of contentment, a soul-level satisfaction where you're grateful for what is rather than grasping for more. I want you to pause right now and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify where you're grasping.
I want you to pause. I want you to be interactive with me right now and with the Spirit of God. Like I told y'all, I don't want this just to be another sermon. Like this, this, this is like where I am right now on my couch in my living room asking myself, yo, you're a pastor. You know this stuff. Why are you still so stinking discontent, right? What's the problem? This ain't activity. This ain't an event. This is about an encounter with God that can hit that place when I'm sitting on my couch, sitting there discontent. I want that. I want more of that. How about you? Because the world's wisdom and my own fleshly desires are just not doing it. I don't care how much money. It's never enough. I don't care how much free time I get. It's not enough. I don't care how many accomplishments I gain. It's not enough. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And, and, And I'm committed at least for the next probably two messages to by the grace of God, figuring some of this out. So I'm asking, would you pray for me? Would you pray for Pastor James? Because I don't want to live here as long and as much as I do anymore. I'm going to invite you to come along with me on that journey. Amen? How do we get more of the Spirit? That's what I want to figure out. And so I'm going to be combing the Scriptures. Preaching what God has to say about how we can get more of that Spirit. Because that's what the power is. And so as I close, I want you to do this. I want you to pray this prayer to the Lord in your way and in your heart. Wherever you're grasping. I know everybody's grasping for somewhere. I know you are. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to tell God, God, I commit right now. That by your grace, I choose to reject the dopamine and distractions. Name them. Wherever your dopamine is, where you're looking to pleasure to get that high, to assuage whatever things deep down are not okay, I want you to bring that before the Lord right now and say, God, I commit by your grace, Spirit of God, I just, I reject that dopamine and those distractions. Second, I want you to just tell the Lord right now, God, I choose. I choose to reject the world and its wisdom. Give me eyes to see it and a heart to reject it. And then lastly, I want you to pray this. God, I invite you, Spirit of God, right now to take their place. Will you remove those things from my heart? And will you center yourself in my heart in those places? Just ask the Spirit of God. Invite the Spirit of God right now into those places. And just say, God, will you give me power? God, give me power. And yes, God, I do pray that for every individual under the sound of my voice. 
God, grant him the grace to reject the dopamine and distraction. To remove self from the altar. And God, Holy Spirit, will you come and replace those spaces with your infinite power so that, God, we might live that raised up life. You have given it to us in Christ. Grant us the grace to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.